You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, though, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team your Miami Dolphins. How is it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, Senior Bowl practices, really the week in general, is a wrap. I've been pouring over some of the practice tape, identifying some of the best performances. We'll talk about that and continue our 2022 season review series with the tight end room. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins I was putting together a uh, content proposal piece um, for Scouting Combine this year, and I went back and looked at some of the old content we did for the Scouting Combine, and I listened to one of the first episodes of Drive Time, or at least the first, like, 20 seconds of it. Boy, your boy had some uh, energy and some enthusiasm. It's funny how jobs can um, change that over time. But rolling along here with the 2022 season getting deeper and deeper into the Rear view mirror, we continue assessing and evaluating the critical first step before devising your offseason plan, what we had in 2022. We'll go back to the offensive side of the ball today and break down the tight end room, which had its struggles this past season. We first start here with the accomplishments of the group, 47 grabs for 491 yards, or uh, 57 grabs, rather, and six touchdowns, 1,154 snaps played, and they were in 12 personnel, excuse me. 9.4% of the time. Of course, that's one back, two tight ends. It's a big fixture, a big piece of this offense and the way they want to establish not just a certain style of running game, but the play-action game off of that and the ability to be explosive or run the football from that 12 personnel package. I mean, you get Tyreek and Jalen on the field with two good blocking tight ends and a quality running back and a good offensive line. I mean, who's going to stop that offense? So, you have some work to do to make that a possibility uh, and within your capacity of your calls. I think we see that number increase if you can get to that level in the future because if you have to defend both wide areas of the field in the running game, you have to contend with two, four, three receivers. You have a good quarterback and a good offensive line that can protect and an explosive running back. Man, you're cooking with gas. And it kind of brings me back to this idea or philosophy or theory that I share oftentimes with friends or people that are close to this team as well in terms of, you know, fans and friends. And I posed this question the other day to a group chat of mine. Like, would you rather kind of, if you only had X amount of premium resources, would you rather patch up the couple of spots you have on offense and make that like one of the best offenses in the NFL or Would you leave it as is and shift those resources into defense and try to see if you can't make your defense go from like 25th to 15th, then you have like a, you know, seventh or eighth offense and 15th defense. That's not like an either or situation, but if you were posed in, or, you know, if you were put in that hypothetical situation, what would you choose? And I tend to lean towards like 
make your strength your strength, man. Make your team identity your team identity. So I'm curious to see how it works out this offseason. And again, I'm not saying they have to choose either or, but I'll be curious to see where the priority lies. Do they want to fix, you know, the offense? And that includes this position, like right tackle. You got to get better production from that spot. Probably need better production from the left guard. You need better health from the quarterback position. And you probably need a little bit more running back. So like there are you know, areas there to filter your resources towards that I think you could accomplish in one off season. But one thing I do know is this group needs, needs some resources, needs some, uh, some reinforcements, you know, the group as a whole, there was some timely playmaking in terms of catching touchdowns and explosive plays. But outside of that, there just wasn't much. Uh, we saw, you know, Durham Smythe kind of took on that role of split flow action, try to head up some players in the running game, your your, uh, six techs and beyond, the, uh, you know, edge defenders, outside linebackers, and help out with chipping and pass protection. And uh, off of that split flow action, kind of be the flat receiver option, which holds, you know, certain parts of the defenders for that vertical horizontal stretch. You know, your cloud corner kind of pays attention to that flat uh, tight end coming across the formation there. And if you can do multiple things, it helps your offense stay flexible, helps keep the defense guessing. And it just allows your quick decision-making quarterback to get even more windows and even more advantage based upon the way you move things. But you have to be sharp in these areas. And Miami wasn't this year. Let's just be completely honest about that. It wasn't good uh, at the position and you got to get better. How that happens, we'll have to find out. Let's go ahead and review what happened this season here. For the Miami Dolphins, number 80, Tanner Connor didn't have any passing game production, had three targets. And I think two of those were drops. The, the season kind of just got away from him at that point in terms of like, well, you can't you can't throw the ball to the guy that keeps dropping it. But I do think there's a lot of talent in there. And I know the team loves what they have in Tanner Connor. He played just 25 snaps. Durham Smythe, number 81, caught 15 balls for a buck 29 and a touchdown, 557 snaps. He got the extension last year, but there's flexibility there and we'll see what happens going forward with the position. But I, you know, <clears throat> Smythe playing 557 snaps was the tight end one this past year. And you, you just, like I said, we'll, we'll put it this way. You just need better production at the spot. Number 84, Hunter Long, no passing game production. He played 93 snaps and the number 88, uh, Mike Gesicki played how many snaps did he give us? Sorry, I just clicked on an email. 478 snaps, caught 32 for 362 and five touchdowns. So the touchdown production from Gasicki to me was the only positive you got here. I'll take five touchdowns from my tight end, but other, everything else, it's got to go up. Those are rookie numbers. You got to pump those numbers up. Uh, reserved injured list was Adam Shaheen and Seathan Carter. Um, as far as the individuals, going back to just kind of talking about them, Connor, you know, the explosive nature of his of his game, I suppose, is what intrigues you. He's a former receiver and track champion that can kind of, you know, give you the explosive element of the game, and we'll see what he can do going forward. Uh, Smythe, again, kind of limited in, in what he brings to the table in terms of that inline blocking, but I think that that's a really aspect of his game that needed to get better, and it hasn't over the, like, four or five years. I mean, it's gotten better, but not to where it needs to be, especially in this system. Hunter Long's been a slow burn, obviously, and then Mike Gesicki, just kind of a, you know, square peg, round hole, tried to make it work, and it didn't work this year. What what happens next year, we'll see, but uh, just a tough year for this room in general, and that brings us to what might be out there this offseason among free agents. I mean, there are so many guys on the list that you you know, are kind of what you just had. You know, Mike Gesicki, one of them, a free agent, obviously. Evan Ingram, a, a much better version of that. He was awesome for the Jaguars this year, but he's not going to line up and, and, you know, 
go be a slobber knocker on a Sam linebacker. Austin Hooper, same role, but lesser of a player. But man, there are some names that I sure do love as more of a fit in terms of what tight ends are asked to do in this system, right? And and coaches talked about kind of retraining guys to do the opposite of what they learned in their football careers in the system. And yeah, let's go get guys that can do that. Now, I think you got to do it at tight end one and tight end two. That's my thought. And I think you try to make them as similar and interchangeable like you would the safety position. And I think it's a significantly priced free agent and relatively high draft pick because this is a big priority for me this offseason. I think this is the biggest key along with right tackle towards making the offense one of the best to the best in the NFL. Hayden Hurst is my number one guy all day long. I think he's perfect for what I just talked about. Irv Smith is also up there. Not quite the inline blocker as Hayden Hurst, but he's really good and he's a much better receiver. So there's like some options there. I am slightly intrigued by the idea of a Robert Tunyon who's played in a similar system before and been a good like fourth or fifth option in the passing game, which is what we need in my opinion at this position. Uh, My top of the market guys are Irv Smith and Dalton Schultz, although I'm really only interested in one of those guys. Irv Smith, again, First round talent, H-back, fullback, tight end, flex him out, play him wherever you want. I think that his market value they have here of $10.2 million, uh, per year, APY, is pretty pretty on brand, pretty tar- on target. And I would pay that over what we did last year at the position for the production we got. Now, Dalton Schultz, $15 million is the spot rack market value for him. <laughs> no way. No, I am all the way out on that. Uh, but the mid-level, two guys here I'm really intrigued by. Hayden Hurst, again, 6.8 is his market value on spot rack. Love his game. Uh, I think he's just he just brings everything you want at this position at in this offense. And playing for Zach Taylor, the offense is somewhat similar, kind of an offshoot of Sean McVay, which of course stems off the Shanahan tree. So somewhat similar concepts. And then Robert Tanyan, again, back in that Green Bay offense, he's a 5 million player uh, per spot rack. The bargain guys... I, I took four here, which I know is against my own rules, but I put Ross Dwelly and Tyler Croft because they played in San Francisco. Like, And I know Ross Dwelly is a tight end three, tight end four type special teamer guy that can come in there and line up in your in your heavy package, your elephant package on the goal line and try to knock some guys back as that kind of extra tackle role. And then Drew Sample and Jesse James are my other two guys. They just missed the entire year last year. I think it kind of depresses their value a little bit. So if you can get a steal that way, that would be nice. So to me, ideally, you wind up with Irv Smith or Hayden Hurst or Robert Tunyon, and then you pair that in the draft with one of the deepest draft classes we've had at this position in a long time. You should have a potential plug-and-play day one starter there at pick 52 if you if you want. It's the Dolphins' first pick this year. Would have loved to have Darnell Washington from Georgia with pick 21, but that ain't happening, obviously. Uh, he's my top guy, complete freak. He's like 7 feet 4, 784 pounds. Just kidding. He's like He is like 6'8". 270 though or 280 and he freaking can move he looks like a basketball player out there he is he's a phenomenal player gonna be a great pro and he has tape wiping dudes out catching passes and running away from people he is impressive 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 specimen Notre Dame's Michael Mayer is the one that gets the on the radar for everybody I've talked to and it's not hard to see why he's gonna be long gone by the time we pick probably the best Jason Witten comp we've gotten since Witten came out of uh, Tennessee and that includes like a lack of separation and explosion at the top of routes. But Witten didn't have that, and he still found ways to get open. Mayer's kind of in that same in that same mold. You'll see the name Dalton Kincaid from Utah. He's a great player, but he's more Gasicki than Kittle, which you know what I mean by that. Uh, Sam Laporta from Iowa has similar skills in terms of run after the catch and, and making big plays as the tight end you might want here. 
But gosh, if there is an inline weapon working off stretch zone offense tied into this class, it's Laporta, man. Like he gives you the benefit of that kind of horizontal stretch type of offense. And here's this uh, 14 broken tackles on 53 grabs last year, led all tight ends in the country. That's a crazy number for a tight end. And he comes from tight end U at Iowa or one of them. I mentioned Musgrave, the Oregon State player at the Senior Bowl. He might be a guy you look at with pick 52. Insane athletic ability in a 6'6", 250-pound frame. He might be my preferred pick at 52 in general. I'm not far enough in yet, but I really, really like what he brings to the table. Uh, he can he can kind of be like an Alec Ingold, but at the tight end position in terms of how he opens up your offense and the things you can do. Cage Stilver from Ohio State is your run block first tight end, make plays after the fact type of guy. That's why I like him in like, you know, probably day three, if, you know, late day three, maybe perhaps that number two tight end role there. Uh, I think Miami's Will Mallory doesn't have the inline pelts to be considered. I think Davis Allen is not enough, enough of a mover for me. And Minnesota's Brevin span forward intrigues me in the way a third offensive tackle would kind of talking about like, um, some of those, uh, Ross Dwelly type of roles line up in line and go knock somebody off the football. Fascinating class could definitely see Miami coming away with one on day two in addition to that big free agent. We'll see, but I think this is a big area of focus and a good year to have a deep class at the tight end position. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back on the other side, and I'm going to tell you about the Senior Bowl and what I thought about some of the practices I've seen so far. Not all the way done, but I have a couple of those uh, in the bank right now. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Friday here on the Drive Time Podcast, we had the Schefter tweet on Thursday that Fangio is once again official, or I guess not official, but will become official, and we'll have um, some podcast content for you guys on him when he is officially official, which I cannot wait to do that. We've been working on that for a while now, so I'm excited to bring it to you. Let's go back to the Senior Bowl here. And off the top, this game has just been such draft mecca over the years. Man, I, I talk about it seemingly every year, but it wasn't that long ago that you just didn't get first rounders at this game. Maybe one or two. When I first started watching it back in 2005, I think it was the first year I watched the Senior Bowl and was really into it. But now they get five, six, seven, like maybe 10 in, in a great year, the best year. The second and third rounds are loaded every year with Senior Bowl alumni, Senior Bowl alumni. And the best part, it really feels like there are some predictive things you see annually with these practices. Personally, the way a player moves, I like the way you move, donut, donut. First time I ever sang in the podcast, how do you guys like that? Uh, yeah, outcast. 
Um, the way a player moves among their peers at the senior bowl goes such a long way with me because like, that's the easiest, most tangible thing to spot in, in terms of scouting. That guy moves different than everybody else. <clears throat> We're going to talk about a back and a backer in this pod where it's just evident they move at different speeds than their peers do. I also think you get a chance to see a player's polish. How pro-ready is he? We're going to talk about a receiver who re- runs just really good, consistent routes with purpose and understands all of that. This is a good chance to see who is really taking their game already to not the peak, but close enough to the peak where you can say, I can probably count on that guy to produce in year one, which is such a big deal for a draft prospect. It's not like the biggest thing, obviously, but it's a bonus. And then you get the pass rush, pass pro drills, which to me tells a story every single year. That remains my favorite thing to watch at any football practice in any capacity. And some guys really showed you what they've got in that department this week. Let's go ahead and get to it. Darnell Wright, the tackle from Tennessee, is an easy strider to his landmark with good redirect and change of direction back inside. I thought he and Will McDonald were really the matchup of the week with their one-on-ones. He has the length and range to get around the outside, but the balance and strength to thwart moves back inside. And there was a great... Fuck, what... Freak. F. Um, There was a image, a stat image, graphic. Somebody posted from... I don't know. I don't know where it came from. This is turning into Mark Wahlberg in uh, in The Departed. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe yourself. Um, but it was a stat that basically told you how often teams are putting their tackles on an island. And despite having Teron Armstead, arguably the, one of the best left tackles in the NFL, the Dolphins were the lowest in terms of leaving their tackles isolated. And a lot of that has to do with the right tackle position. Right is a guy that you can do that with, is what I'm getting at here. Speaking of Will McDonald from Iowa State, holy moly, he's going to be gone way before we pick, but man, he was so impressive. You have to mention him. Incredibly bendy, has a wicked spin move back inside, and he just understands his pass rush plan, like when to give more space, when to reduce space, when a counter could work after showing a specific move all day long. Like I said, he's very likely gone, long gone by the time Miami picks, but you just can't do the segment and not mention him. Three more names I have here that uh, we've covered a little bit, I think. Cody Mock, the interior offensive lineman for North Dakota State, like I said on the on the Wednesday podcast, put him into your starting lineup when you draft him. He's going to be that type of player, the Alex Kappa, the uh, the Quinn Minerts for the Broncos last year. He just He's just going to fit. He's going to play. He's going to be awesome. He's a really good player, has that temperament you like as well. Uh, a guy that plays sleeveless with no teeth in North Dakota, like... It sounds like a great player to go up to the Northeast in in December and try to win a football game with. Keanu Brenton from Wisconsin has just been kicking butt all week. And I didn't, I wasn't familiar with his game, you know, Shaq style before, uh, (laughs) before this week. But that's what I like about senior bowl, man. You get a look at these guys you're not familiar with and they really just kind of turn your head. And he's done that with his pad level and leverage. He has just been whooping dudes all week long on the interior. Are the Dolphins in that? market we'll see i mean they, they're pretty good in that position but it might be more of a 2024 move and then julius brents the cornerback from kansas state whoo buddy you want to talk about length and just keeping guys you know in their original starting booth their station at the line of scrimmage not letting them get out into the release into the route julius brents will mess up your timing and disrupt your passing game in a big way that dude looks the part and i'm i'm curious to see where he goes on draft day and how he runs and how he works out but he has really gotten my attention leonardo dicaprio uh in django style in django 
Unchained style. I know I talked about him in the pod already, but I need Dayon Henley. Just unreal speed strike ability. I mentioned his performance in the preview podcast, but go watch his one-on-one coverage drills on the running backs, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Like If receivers are supposed to win one-on-ones versus corners, then this is tenfold for running backs to beat linebackers, but Henley was all over it. I'll never forget my first look at Shaq Leonard from South Carolina State, not South Carolina, South Carolina State, in these drills back in 2018, then Darius Leonard, obviously, and being like, yeah, that dude moves like an elite linebacker. That's what I see with Dayon Henley, and it's not, doesn't anything to do with Washington State. Go Cougs! <laughs> Tyreek Stevenson, the Miami corner. I'm sure a lot of you folks here on this pod know who I'm talking about. A little bit annoyed at myself for omitting him on the preview podcast. I thought we saw excellent technique from him in terms of press and mirror. If you can play up without having to initiate contact and can react in a way that disrupts routes by cutting them off, it's that's one of the best traits for a cornerback. I'm very intrigued, and we saw that all week long with Stevenson. Again, these drills are supposed to favor the receiver, but he scored as many wins as he did losses in this drill. Uh, Riley Moss, the cornerback from Iowa. Jason Seahorn, was he the last white cornerback to start a game in the NFL? Riley Moss will be the next one. He said he expects to run a 4-3. Uh, change of direction is ridiculous. He is so smooth in and out of his breaks. He just kind of springs off the balls of his feet. People want to project him to safety, and to me that's twofold because, one, we don't have any white cornerbacks in the NFL, and an actually valid concern is that he hits like a safety. But at that size, that change of direction, that physicality, that sounds to me like a slot cornerback, man, especially in a potential 4-2-5 package. Uh, he got beat on a deep ball to Michael Wilson, but he literally punched his hand through the pocket. You know, the receiver has their elbows tucked into their sides and then the open palms to the sky to kind of receive the ball coming down uh, from a, a deep shot. He had his hand between the elbows into the hand separating it, and Wilson just still caught the football. Good process, right? You can't do it better. And this was after he knocked Wilson off the route, but the drill goes on. It's not realistic to run a route for five seconds, but he did. That's double the time you get. Smart, physical, and true track athlete. Mentioned Michael Wilson. That play was one of a bunch that kind of caught my eye. I'm a sucker for a great route runner and the way I love pass rushers who have a plan and execute it. His release package is fantastic. He exposes a blind spot and then wastes no time going right after it. He also showed exceptional ball skills, tracking and finishing. He's one of those guys you watch him out there and say, that's a good pro right there. And you feel confident, like he'll, he'll be a good player in the NFL. I talked about day on Henley, go Cougs. I think I might have another player that I prefer at the senior bowl. Ty J Spears running back from Tulane, a guy we mentioned in the preview podcast, but if I had to pick someone not named Henley's my favorite player, it's him. He might even be more. Spears is impressive, man. His shoulders are always parallel to the line of scrimmage. His feet are always working. And when he makes a decision to go, he springs off that cut and is up to top speed in the flash. I posted a clip or, or retweeted a clip on my timeline. Go look at it. Like when he hits that spot and gets off of it, it's different. You know, do you know what I'm saying? It's, it just looks different. It's a dude, man. I liked the way he reads his blocks in team period and also pressed the point to make sure he was working, gaining ground and reducing space for backers to scrape and make plays. I really like his game. I really like this guy. And then Rashawn Johnson, the running back from Texas. Hope I pronounced that right. We saw the explosiveness and juice all year when he was spelling Bijan Robinson. What a funny name uh, backfield duo that is at Texas. But man, he's really showing his salt in the pass game and pass pro drills. Sturdy anchor, strikes the middle of the man, and holds up in those one-on-one blitz drills. Texas might see both of their backs go on days one and two. Uh, we're going to have a guest on the next podcast 
spoiler, Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins, my uh, close personal friend, um, to give you more observations on Senior Bowl. That'll be on Monday's podcast. Cannot wait to study this podcast more in depth and give you guys uh, some more content on the draft. Let's go ahead and take our last break, come back on the other side. I want to talk about some players that I think are going to be very important for the Dolphins this coming season, or off-season program, I should say, and uh, tell you what I'm watching on the tube. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Final segment here on what I would call a bit of an abbreviated Friday edition of the Drive Time podcast, uh, talking about those players at the Senior Bowl and, and specific position groups there that I think are uh, maybe the more pressing areas of the team right now. Of course, all that could change. But I also wanted to start doing the same thing with this practice that I've been kind of kicking around for a few days here. And it's the idea of certain incumbents that can elevate your roster to eliminate the need for certain needs. But I wanted to focus on positions that I think make the most sense. And again, you know, draft good players and the rest takes care of itself from the draft prospect standpoint. But from a value standpoint and where you need immediate impacts versus where you can develop a little bit. And this is, of course, before free agency, which can obviously change things. And free agency typically is where you go for the immediate impact. But I think these positions right now make a lot of sense. And these skill sets of these guys make a lot of sense now. That's not to say some are not immediate impact guys. I think you could plop Henley in and start him tomorrow. I think you could do that with Julius Brents as well, a cornerback. I think you could do that with Darnell Wright and Cody Mock. The Dolphins offseason is interesting to me because they're close. They've got to be super intentional about how they spend those premium resources because you're in a position where you need the payoff, right? This is always a critical thing, but it's amplified right now given the moves to go get Tyreek Hill, to go get Bradley Chubb with those first-round picks, which, by the way, can we talk about how smart it is to recognize a draft pick's value decreasing courtesy of the Niners winning so many football games the last two years and then stopping the process of depreciation by using that pick on a veteran? I mean, we don't trade for Tyreek. We're stuck in the late 20s addressing that position with Christian Watson. He was the next receiver taken. How does 2022 look with Watson in Tyreek's place? Same thing this year. Bradley Chubb or the 29th pick? First round draft picks are not all the same. You know which edge rusher you're getting with the 29th pick, right? At best, the fifth best guy in the draft. Probably more like the seventh or eighth best guy. So those premium pieces where you 
probably wouldn't have gotten one otherwise, you did. You got a premier pass rusher, a premier receiver. I know you folks are up in you know, kind of disagreement about Bradley Chubb, but we'll see more of that this year, I, I believe. Uh, now, another way you can address those spots is incumbent improvement, which brings me back to the original point. It's a vital piece of any team any year. Look at the two Super Bowl teams right now. Uh, it starts with Jalen Hurts in Philly, obviously. That's different him being the quarterback. But they also got jumps from guys like Miles Sanders last couple of years. Landon Dickerson took a big jump. Josh Sweat, TJ Edwards, a linebacker. I mean, they developed these guys into critical core parts of championship teams. You have to do that. Same with the Chiefs. Legereus Sneed is a massive example of development. That corner position was a huge question mark. Now you got him and Jalen Watson making plays back there. It's big in-house development. So who on this roster could go from relatively unknown commodity to a potential solution, here's a few names to chew on. Tight end Tanner Connor. The whole room, you know, needs to be reevaluated here. But perhaps Connor's athletic ability and raw makeup to learn how to block at the position can become a useful tool, even if that's as tight end too. I mean, adding his athletic ability and playmaking on those flat releases that ran by Durham this year or some of the stick crosser options you can get improvement in that area and maybe not even sacrifice that much in terms of the split flow, kick out and head up point of attack blocks. And if he got to the level of the previous incumbent, the added receiving skills would be a massive boon. So it's not just frontline guys, but if you can reduce our need for tight end two or even tight end three, it would be nice. Offensive guard, but really left guard, Rob Jones and really anybody at the left guard position. To me, you have to address right tackle. And if you hit there, you have four really good starters. 90% of teams don't have that. And I think I'm probably letting a competition, which I'm also going to add with a mid-round draft pick or mid-range free agent, occur for that job. Is that Rob Jones? Is that Liam Eikenberg? Is that Austin Jackson sliding back inside? The latter is my preference at swing tackle. The middle one, I probably am good on, and I do wonder about Jones's fit in the system, but I do think the best inherent option you got is Robert Jones. If he solidified that spot and you can spend on a right tackle, you have your O-line in place for a foreseeable future. Maybe it's, maybe it's a rookie. Maybe it's a free agent. We'll see. Wide receiver Eric Azukama. I think there are other options here to make this work, but like I'd be pretty surprised. If we don't get most of, if not all, the receivers back this next year, Sherfield to me is a no-brainer. Uh, Ezukama can factor into that role because he's more dynamic in terms of playmaking, at least his makeup, than Sherfield is, or Craycraft, and maybe even Cedric Wilson. So it would allow you to get a similar type of player with an added receiving element at a reduction in cost. And that's basically the key here, right? To kind of make these moves and get these progress, you know, this progress to be made to afford yourself bigger swings at guys like Tyreek and Chubb. How can we improve the football team with the lowest resource commitment? These guys are cheap, and if they emerge, it fills a hole. It's the best best of both worlds. Uh, linebacker Channing Tindall's an obvious one. Would be silly to exclude him, and you don't need a big breakdown on it. He's got the makeup of the modern-day linebacker, and he can bulk up to be a potential three-down, you know, two-way, go-forward, go-backward type of linebacker. It's kind of up to him at this point. Young player, hasn't seen much football, but hopefully we get a big jump from him in year two. I'm not going to assume it, but hopefully we get that. Safety position, Elijah Campbell. I've been on Elijah's corner here for a while. Worst case to me is safety four and a core special teams player where he could save you stepping into that safety three role, although I'm not sure that makes a lot of sense now because that's a big important role you have to fill. 
it'd be a big step to, to see him do that. But the safety four role, I think, definitely fits him. And then cornerback Trill Williams. Any cornerback stepping up would be huge because it's such an expensive position. We don't know what's going to happen on the Byron Jones front. Uh, Trill was a guy that was probably going to be your top option off the bench, got hurt in training camp, and at the time didn't seem like a big deal, but we sure could have used his skill set down the stretch. Is he a fit in the system now? He was really a press man guy. I'm curious to see how that looks going forward. But if he could find a role, he's got the physical skills to make it work would be a big boon for this football team. So there you go. That's the uh, some players I think could save you in terms of the resource or, uh, allocation with how the Dolphins approach this offseason. Should be a fun one. A couple of things I'm watching here lately. The only one I got for you guys is The Last of Us, the episode, uh, episode three that aired last Sunday. It's one of the best television episodes I've seen in a long time. Very, very good. Well-written, well-acted. And uh, the guy that adapted that, the video game, script whatever for television is the same guy that wrote the chernobyl series i didn't know that it was pretty cool and it makes sense it's such a good show so that's what i'm watching uh no football this weekend gonna play some golf <coughs> excuse me looking forward to some some downtime here before the super bowl and then obviously into the off season uh combine coverage all that fun stuff for you guys coming your way this off season keep it locked here on the drive time podcast in the meantime that's going to be my time you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Linkfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Pod and all the podcasts in our network on the international podcast front. And also the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today. Last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline Cameron, Daddy's coming home.